Well, let's look at Romans chapter 8. We're going to look uh, specifically from the second half of verse 17 through to verse 25, but I want to read from verse 16 because it will just put things in context um, so that we're not starting in the middle of a sentence. So Romans chapter 8, verse 16 to 25. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, also heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, so that we may also be glorified with Him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but we also, ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we eagerly wait for it. What a wonderful passage of scripture here. And we can learn so many things from it. I want to just bring out four things today that we can learn from this passage. And as we look at this passage, what we just need to bear in mind is that this is the Word of God. And this is a communication of the realities of God. This is truth. And so what we're going to learn from today is something that we can base our lives upon. We can depend on. This is what we can stand on. And so let's have a look at what we can learn from this passage. Four things that we're going to look at today. The first one is, we can see that suffering is part and parcel of the Christian life. Paul says here in verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. This present time, that phrase refers to this life. We could say it this way. Paul says, I do not consider that the sufferings of this life are worth being compared to the glory that will be revealed to us. He says in verse 23, even we who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan within ourselves. Why are we groaning? What is that groaning caused by? It's caused by the things that we suffer in this life. The bottom line is this, that even though we are children of God, even though we've been adopted into His family, and we have the first fruits of the Spirit, we have justification, we have been reconciled to God, we have the cry of Abba Father in our hearts, there is still going to be an experiencing of suffering in this life. It's inescapable, it's a part of this present age that we live in. Also notice that in verse 18, 
he doesn't say, for I consider the suffering of this present time. He says, I consider the sufferings. He puts it in the plural. And this is significant because right here in this passage, Paul mentions three distinct ways that we as Christians will suffer in this life. This is the second thing that we learn. There are three distinct ways, we could say reasons, that Christians suffer in this life. In verse 17, he talks about suffering with Christ. He uses that phrase, suffering with Christ. What does that refer to? Well, it refers to suffering that arises because of our identification with Jesus, our union with Jesus. In other words, it's any suffering that results from us being committed and obedient followers to Jesus Christ. And it's what the Lord talked about in Matthew 5.11, where he said, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. So it's suffering because of our identification with Jesus Christ. And do you know that all of us who have an identification, are identified with Jesus, are united with Him through faith, we, do you know that every single one of us will suffer in this way? Paul tells us that everyone who lives a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So this is something that we can expect. It's some, it goes with the territory. Let me put it that way. This goes with the territory. There's no such thing as a believer in Jesus Christ who will not face at some point animosity, isolation, rejection, insults. And in many parts of the world right now, there are people that are suffering very terribly because of their identification with Jesus Christ. It might come here one day. We don't know. So Paul talks about suffering with Christ. But we also see that he talks here about Suffering because we live in a fallen world. I think that's very clear and evident to us. We just have to turn on the television set and we will see that we live in a falling, fallen world. And there is suffering everywhere. In every nation, even the most sophisticated nations, there's suffering. We see what's just happened in the United States of America. All the technology of man, all the advancements in science and learning cannot remove this aspect that we live in a fallen world. In verse 22, Paul says, uh, the whole of creation is groaning and suffering the pains of childbirth. And this is what is happening when we see famines and we see floods and we see hurricanes and natural disasters, fires, earthquakes, uh, death, wars, all these kinds of things are a result of a fallen world that we live in. And it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Right back in the very beginning, in Genesis chapter 3, God subjected creation to futility, to corruption, to decay. And that's why in, in, in life, we see everything tends towards corruption. Everything tends towards decay. If you leave a car outside for a few years, you'll come back. It won't be in the state that it was in. The whole of creation is moving towards decay. It has been subjected to it. And it's God who did this, and he did it right in the beginning. But not only that, we also see 
in Isaiah chapter 24 and verses 4 to 8, and I just want to read this to you, we also see that this aspect of suffering because we live in a fallen world is compounded by the sinfulness of each generation. So let's just look at what Isaiah 24 verse 4 to 8 says. It says, the earth mourns and withers. The earth mourns and withers. The world languishes and withers. The exalted of the people of the earth languish. The earth is also polluted by its inhabitants. And here's the reason why. For they trespassed laws, violated statutes, broke the everlasting covenant. That's talking about the sinfulness of mankind. Verse 6, therefore a curse devours the earth, and those who inhabit it are held guilty. Therefore the inhabitants of the earth are burned and few men remain. The new wine mourns, the vine languishes, all the glad of heart sigh, the joy of tambourine ceases, the rumbling of those exulting stops, and the joy of the harp ceases. So what do we see here? We see suffering in creation because of the sinfulness of mankind. We, I think many times we just don't realize just how terrible how dreadful sin actually is. The fact that the whole of creation has been affected by the sin of mankind. Every time you see an animal die, just remember that's because of man's sin. Every time you, the earth quakes, do you know that it's quaking under the weight of the sin of its inhabitants? So man's sin has compounded the suffering, and we don't have to look far to see this. Our newspapers are filled with stories of people that are suffering because of the wickedness that is in the hearts of mankind. All right, so this is the second reason that we suffer as Christians, because we're not exempted. As long as we live in this world, in this fallen creation, we also suffer the results of that fallenness. And we've all experienced it. There are Christians, believers in Christ, that have possibly been affected by the hurricane that's just blowing, blown through the United States. And they've been affected possibly just the same way as their unbelieving neighbor has. And so we need to realize that just because we're believers, it doesn't exempt us from this kind of thing going on. And I think not only does Scripture say it, but our experience bears this out, doesn't it? The third reason that Paul gives us, or the third kind of way we suffer, or the third reason we suffer, is because we live in unredeemed bodies. I don't know about you, but my body is very much unredeemed. I look in the mirror and I realize it's unredeemed. Our bodies are still subject to the judgment that resulted from Adam's transgression. Us coming to God... Us being born again, us receiving of the Spirit of God, has not yet changed our bodies. They're still the same. And so there is suffering that we experience in our bodies simply because they are still Adamic in their nature. They are descended. They are from a, a Adam's body. I get old. You're getting old. Our eyes get weaker. We need glasses. Doesn't matter how much faith we have. We, our bodies are going to get older. 
We're going to get gray hairs. And we're not going to be able to run as fast as we used to. Because our bodies are on the same trajectory towards the grave. They are mortal. They feel pain. And so even as believers, we're not exempted from that. And you know, there are so many Christians today that are running around looking for a solution to this problem. If you have enough faith, if you have enough faith, your body will be removed out of this position of suffering. and You will never have to suffer. Do you know the people that teach that suffer in their bodies exactly the same way as everyone else? It's a lie. Because as long as we live in this body, we will feel the pains, we will feel the stresses, we will feel everything that an unbeliever feels. There's no distinction. You can have a believer sitting next to an unbeliever, and when you look at them, it's the same. Because these bodies have not yet been changed. The third, the, the third thing that we see here, so we've, we've seen suffering as part and parcel of the Christian life, there are three distinct ways or reasons for the fact that we suffer as Christians. The third thing is suffering and glory are linked. In this passage, Paul links suffering and glory. And you know that this is a New Testament theme. I don't have time today to take you through all the passages in the New Testament that speak about suffering being a precursor to glory. Even our Lord Jesus Christ suffered before he was glorified. And his suffering was the precursor to his glorification. And you know that that is the way that we all go? And this is what Paul is saying here. Let's just have a look at verse 17 again. He says, If children also heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. Do you see that, the way he's put it there? If indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. What comes first? The suffering comes first. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 to 14. Peter writes, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. You might be going through a fiery trial today. And what he's saying is, don't be surprised at this, because this is a part of what God is working in your life, and we'll talk about this just now. He carries on, he says, but to the degree you are sharing the sufferings of Christ. Notice that phrase, to the degree that you're sharing the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of His glory, you may rejoice with exultation. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Do you see Peter linking suffering and glory together again? You see, Suffering is an integral part of God's sanctifying work in our lives. It's a part of His preparatory work for us to be glorified. It's preparing us for glory. And you know that there's no circumventing this. There's not a single human being, not a single believer 
that can circumvent this process. God is going to allow it. God is going to bring it about in our lives because he's preparing us for something. And I know that we often don't want to hear that. But we'll look at a scripture just now which gives us such hope. You see, just as God works in us through the new birth, and he works in us by putting his spirit in us and sanctifying us, just as he works through us, in us through his word, he also works in us through the things that we suffer. This is a part of God's dealings with us. We don't like it. We don't find it pleasurable. We weep over it. We mourn over it. We groan within ourselves because of it. But in the end, as we will see, it is going to work out for us. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. Paul writes this, For our momentary light affliction. If Paul could write that, then that we can all agree. I mean, if you look at what Paul suffered, he calls it momentary and light. For our momentary and light affliction is working out for us. Notice that phrase there. Working out for us. An eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Do you see how Paul viewed suffering? And this is a man who suffered. This is a man of great faith. A man full of the Spirit of God. A man who was called to be an apostle. A man who was taken up into the third heaven and saw things that he's not even permitted to talk about. And yet even he was not exempted from this suffering. And he says, talking about his own life and what he was going through and the incredible suffering that he went through, he says, it's working something out for me. And this is the way that we've got to look at it. God is good. How many of you believe that? And he's good all the time. And even when we're going through things that are perplexing, things that we don't understand why they are happening to us, we need to understand God is good. And that He is sovereign over our lives. And that He is for us. He's not against us. He is working something out for us. And what is it that He's working out? An eternal weight of glory that will be far beyond all comparison. As He said in, in, in the passage that we read in verse 18, we cannot even, it's not even worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. Not even worth weighing it together. It far outweighs the suffering that we're having now. So let's ask a question. How does suffering prepare us for glory? I want to just give you five points here. We're just going to go through them quickly. Number one, it produces proven character in us. Proven character. Number two, it humbles us. You know, when we're facing things that we can't deal with, what does it do? It brings a sense of humility. Number three, it makes us depend on God and not on ourselves. Do you know our natural inclination is always to trust in ourselves? I can do it. I'm able. But do you know that we're only able because God enables us? If God was to take his breath from us, where do we, where do we remain? The most powerful, the most wise, the most educated, the most successful person in this world is only so because God has enabled him to be that way. He's the one who gives us life 
and breath and everything else. And yet, how many times do we live on this earth and we say, by my hand, by my power, I've done this. This is because of my brilliance that I've managed to accomplish this. And we boast about ourselves and we depend on ourselves. But you know what? God allows certain things to come into our lives because what it does is it pulls that rug out from underneath our feet. It brings us back to reality that we are mortal beings that are totally dependent on an eternal and immortal God. And so suffering keeps us from becoming proud and it helps us to depend on God. Number four, it looses us from this world and helps us to set our hearts on heaven. I've noticed things in life. The people that suffer the most are the most likely to be looking towards heaven. I've spoken to people that have lost their loved ones. I've spoken to people that are all alone in this world. Their family's been taken from them. And you know what? There is a cry within their heart for heaven, for eternity, that you don't find in people where everything's going well, where everything is so comfortable. Because when we're comfortable, we're quite happy to be here. I remember when I was younger, I can remember saying to the Lord, Lord, please don't come back yet. I'm enjoying life too much. Do you know that that is the opposite cry and prayer that God wants us to be praying? The cry that He wants to be coming from our hearts is, Lord, come back. Come, Lord Jesus, come. But when we're just in comfort and everything's going well, that cry doesn't come from our hearts. But when people are suffering like they are in so many parts of the world, this cry begins to come, Lord, redeem your creation. Lord, redeem our bodies. And we, the desire for the, the eternal purposes of God to be fulfilled rise within us. That's what suffering does. And lastly, it brings us to share in the holiness of God. The Bible says without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Let's just have a look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6 to 11. It says, therefore, those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. That means suffering is a proof of God's love for us. Yet so often, people that are feeling the weight of suffering think it is proof that God does not love them. He says, he carries on, he says, and he flogs every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our benefit so that we may share in his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. But to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. You see what he's saying there? And he's encouraging. He was writing here to people that were really suffering. Suffering because of their faith, 
suffering in many ways, and he's encouraging them. And he's saying, do you realize that what you're going through is actually proof God loves you? And yet so often we flip that around, we turn it on its head, and we say, if God loved me, I wouldn't be going through this. If we can see what he's saying here, it's proof that we are the sons of God. That's why Paul said, if we suffer with him so that we may be glorified together with him. Let's just have a look at the last point, number four, that we can see from this passage. And this is what buoys our spirits today. There is hope for the children of God and for creation as a whole. This is what comes out in this passage. Suffering, and we've seen this, this word coming up, is momentary. It's transient. This is not forever. God has a plan to redeem His creation, the whole of His creation, in its entirety. And we see in this passage the word hope appearing five times. So while Paul is talking about suffering, he's talking also about hope. No matter what we're going through in life, there is hope for us. There is hope simply because we are the children of God. And we also see this phrase coming up, eagerly waiting for. He says the creation is eagerly waiting for the revealing or the manifestation of the sons of God. And then he says, and we are eagerly waiting for the redemption of our bodies. Do you know that both God's people and creation are waiting for the same thing? The redemption of our bodies, the manifestation of the sons of God. Do you know that those are the same things? Just have a look at Colossians 3 verses 1 to 4. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ... Keep seeking the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. As God's people, we have to have a heavenly focus. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of this earth. The things that are above are eternal, but the things of this earth, the sufferings, the hardships, the challenges, the trials that we go through are all temporary. Set your mind on the things that are eternal. Look at verse 3. For you died and your life has been hidden with Christ in God. Do you know that the life that Jesus died on the cross to give to everyone who believes in him is hidden with Christ in God? We don't see that life yet. That's why we live by faith and not by sight. It's our hope. And our hope is based on the promises of God. It's not based on some hearsay, some myth. It's based on the absolutely certain promise of God. It's based on the fact that God raised Jesus from the dead. And if he raised him from the dead, he's also going to give life to our mortal bodies by his spirit who lives in us. Notice what's going to happen. Look at verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, is manifested. That's talking about 
the return of our Lord Jesus Christ, His glorious appearing, when He is manifested, then you also will be manifested with Him in glory. That's what the whole of creation is waiting for. The whole of creation is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. And when is that going to happen? When Jesus comes from heaven and our bodies, if we are still alive, are transformed in a twinkling of an eye. And those who have died in Christ are raised imperishable with eternal glorified bodies just like the Lord Jesus's. This is God's promise to us. This is what Jesus Christ died on the cross to provide for us. But we're waiting for it. And we're eagerly waiting for it. And the whole of creation is groaning, waiting for this. This is the great hope that we have. This is the great hope that creation has. Paul says, for the creation, this is verse, Romans 8, verse 20 to 21. The creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him. Hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the, of the children of God. Do you see what it says there? First of all, the children of God must be set free from their bondage to decay, and then creation itself will be redeemed and set free from its bondage to decay. Do you see how everything is waiting for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you see how the whole of creation is groaning? We, when we feel that groaning, do you know what we're groaning for? We are groaning and crying out for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. I say to people, you know when we're praying for a righteous government, how many of you have prayed for a righteous government? And I ask the question, why are you praying for a righteous government? Because you want things to go well with the nation. But you know that we're never going to have a truly righteous government until Jesus appears. When the government of God comes, when the kingdom of God comes in its fullness, and every time that we groan, that's what we're groaning for. Do you know the whole of humanity is really looking for this? We, we talk about a utopia. People are trying everything, new philosophies, new ways of doing things, new forms of government. If only we can find a system that will bring utopia, that will free us from this present suffering that we experience. But you know that it's futility. No matter what people try to do, no matter how much money we have to pump into making life better, there is still going to be suffering. Even if it's just death, the richest person will face death. Doesn't matter if we have billions in the bank account, our bodies are going to grow old, we're going to face pain, and we will die. We can have billions in our bank accounts, but our loved ones die. And so there is a, a futile exercise amongst humanity to try and create this sort of utopia that we all really desire, that we all know we were actually created for. But there's only one way into it, and that's through Jesus Christ. All of man's efforts are going to fail. All of man's efforts are just going to make things worse. For all our technology, for all our learning, for all our universities, 
This world is no better than it's ever been. It's probably worse. Mankind cannot solve his own dilemma. Only Jesus Christ can do that. And the wonderful promise that we have is that God, through Jesus Christ, is going to do it. Creation will be liberated from its bondage to decay. And our bodies will be redeemed. And when that happens, Revelation chapter 22 will be fulfilled, which says, He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And there will be no more pain, and no more sorrow, and no more death, no more mourning, None of those things. No more curse. It will all have passed away. And he says, God says, I'm going to make everything new. And this life and what we're going through is part of God's process in bringing us in to that reality. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you today. For your word. This is the truth, Lord, and we know that. Thank you, Lord, that through your words we can see the hope that we have. Faith is built into our hearts. And Father, our cry is that the Lord Jesus might come. Our cry is, Father, that you would bring everything to this place, that you would fulfill your promise. And our prayer is that, Father, as we wait for that day with perseverance and with assurance of hope, that you would strengthen us, that by your Holy Spirit you would help us, you would encourage our hearts, that we would not grow weary in doing good, that we would not be discouraged because of the challenges and trials that we face day after day. But Lord, that we'd be able to see beyond that, see beyond what we're going through and see your purposes in it. And that we'd be able to rejoice in the hope that we have. So I pray for everyone here today, Lord. I know that there are people that are hurting. I know that there are people, Father, who may even be angry because of things that have happened to them, because of the circumstances of life and the pain that it's caused. I know that there are people here, Father, who feel like giving up, who are sort of saying, what is life for and what is it even worth? Why, what, is, what is it worth me living? Lord, I pray for every single one of those people today that you would, by your Holy Spirit, Lord, you would speak into their hearts, you would encourage them, and you would strengthen them right deep inside. So, Father, we commit ourselves to you. We know that we are not alone as we walk through this life. We know that we have you with us, the Holy Spirit constantly ministering to us. Thank you that we have one another, Father, to help each other. When one ha one, the hands of one fall down, we, we who have, are strong lift them up. When the knees of one of us are weak, we who are strong steady that person. Thank you that you've placed us in a body, Father, for this very reason. And so we give you praise. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.